The Old Covenant reading is taken from the book of the Psalms this morning. Psalm chapter 23, beginning at verse 1, we'll be reading through verse 6, which is the entire chapter this morning. The word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here endeth the Old Covenant reading. The New Covenant reading is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, we'll be reading through verse 34 this morning, which is also the end of the chapter. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In which of you... By being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here endeth the New Covenant reading. Please keep your place here, as this will be the primary portion of God's word for our morning sermon. We live in an anxious world, don't we? In fact, Americans are so anxious that if you're calm in the midst of a hardship that's happening or a real problem that's taking place at work, you run the risk of being accused of not caring enough simply because you're at peace. That is the way of the world. But it's not the way that we ought to live as those who are following Jesus Christ. In just this short passage, Jesus tells us this. Do not be anxious about your life, 
Why are you anxious about clothing? Do not be anxious, and do not be anxious about tomorrow. I think the Lord is trying to tell us something. Right? It's, it's not that hard to figure out the main theme of this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Yet when we look closely at this passage, and when we put it into the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount, we can see that these commands um, come to us in a way that we should see with fresh eyes. Jesus is not scolding us for being anxious. Rather, Jesus is inviting us into an entirely new way of life, which is his way of life. If we step back and consider the life of Jesus, we can see something truly remarkable. I mean, you think you have difficulties and struggles in life, but Jesus constantly had crowds of people pressing upon him and making demands. He had adversaries that were out to mock him, to attack him, and ultimately to destroy him. And Jesus was engaged in the most important work that would ever take place on this planet. In fact, in the entire universe. And yet we never see Jesus being anxious, not even once. Jesus knew where he came from and where he was going. Jesus knew what his mission was in this present life. And he knew that his Father in heaven, his Father who had created all things and who governs all things, loved him with an everlasting and unbreakable love. So Jesus enjoyed peace in the midst of the storm, a peace that he invites you to share. Jesus is calling you to enter into that knowledge and love, not that you would find peace by freeing yourself from all cares and concerns. Jesus is calling you to find perfect peace in him. We're going to look at this portion of God's word under four main headings this morning. First, don't sweat the small stuff. Second, your Father in heaven loves you. Third, Focus on what matters. And fourth, be realistic. Let me give you those four again. First, don't sweat the small stuff. Second, remember that your Father in heaven loves you. Third, focus on what really matters. And fourth, be realistic. We begin by learning to not sweat the small stuff. Look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, if you were with us last week, you know that the last passage that we looked at, the verse that comes right before this, is a place where Jesus warned us about trying to serve both God and money. As I pointed out at that time, money is a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You should notice that this Morning's passage begins with the word therefore. What Jesus is teaching us about anxiety is directly connected to this desire 
to serve money in some way. As we pointed out last week, Jesus does not say that you cannot have both God and money. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And so what he's saying as we shift over to this passage is, it's also entirely incompatible that you would have faith and confidence in your Father in heaven, knowing that he loves you, and that you would go through life anxious about all the little things in this world. At a basic level, food and clothing are necessities of life. And Jesus will address that reality and our Father's commitment to providing us with what we need. On the other hand, we ought to take his word, what, quite seriously here. Jesus is not directly saying, don't be anxious whether you will have something to eat. He's talking about something different. He says, don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will wear. See, Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not addressing a bunch of naked people that are on the verge of starving. He's addressing and teaching people who are at risk of putting their priorities and their hopes in worldly wealth. That they will climb the social ladder and climb the economic ladder. They'll be able to wear nicer clothes. They'll be able to eat finer foods and find their meaning in those things rather than in the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking to people who were very much at risk of trying to serve both God and money. So let's go ahead and ask a hard question about that. Do we see ourselves at all in the picture that Jesus is painting? Do do we imagine that somehow, as we do better off financially and we're enjoying these things that God is giving us, that it sets us apart? that maybe we're even a little bit better than the people who can't afford to go out and have nice meals or wear nice clothing. Right? That's what Jesus is driving at here. Now please note, Jesus is not saying that you cannot wear nice clothing nor eat fine food. Right? Just as he wasn't saying that you can't have both God and money, what he's saying is you can't serve both. You can't have your heart set on both. His words are directed at our motives And at our hearts, are we excessively concerned about such things? Are we worried that we are not keeping up with the Joneses or that people will talk over the fact that I keep wearing the same dress to every single event? So Jesus asks us a very direct question about our priorities. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We should also take that word more with great seriousness and allow it to prick our consciences. Are you more concerned about wearing nice clothes than you are about pursuing holiness? That sounds trivial to ask, but it's actually a very serious question. Are you concerned about those things that are going to pass away, like having nice clothes to wear, nothing wrong with that, but are you more concerned about that than pursuing holiness? Are you more concerned about the nice meal you're going to have this coming Friday at a restaurant than you are about sharing the gospel with your neighbor, loving your neighbors who are in needs? Jesus is trying to recalibrate the priorities that we have, not in theory, but in practice in our lives. Think about it for a moment. How sad would it be that if when you die, the only nice thing that people could think to say about you is, They dressed really nice, 
and they sure enjoyed a good meal. Right? Nothing wrong with those things. But they're terribly wrong if they get put in the place of something that is central to your identity, that absorbs your imagination, and even causes you to become anxious. Those things are not bad. In fact, they are good gifts from your Father in heaven. But you are intended to do and to be so much more. Beloved, you were created in the image of God to reflect his holy character into this world. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that God has set apart as belonging to him as his own treasured possession. And what are we supposed to do with that? We've been set apart so that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You've been created and redeemed for something that is extraordinary. And not to refocus it on things that are just going to pass away. Those things are good. Give, give thanks for them. But don't make them the center of your life. Jesus is calling us to get our priorities straight. And he's going to have more to say about this at the end of this morning's passage. Uh, but it does raise an obvious question of application for us. How do we do this? How, how, how do we get our priorities right when it's so easy for us to worry about the small stuff? Uh, because everyone else is. And after all, we do actually need to have food and clothing in order to survive. The key is to remember that your Father in heaven loves you. Look at verses 26 through 30 with me. Verses 26 through 30. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father, your heavenly Father, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you Oh, you of little faith. These very simple pictures about our Heavenly Father feeding the birds and clothing the hillside with magnificent beauty are worth far more to us than hours of argumentation. Right? If we'll just see them. If we'll just step aside from those concerns that we have that are producing anxiety in our lives to look all around us and see our God is governing the world in perfect wonder. He cares about his creation. He's involved in creation. Our God is not a distant God that the deists imagine, who, who, when he thinks about the world at all, thinks about it from a distance. Rather, he cares about creation, and he clothes it with beauty. And you are the pinnacle of his creation, his very image bearer. How much more does your Father in heaven care about you? The question is, do we have eyes to see? Do we slow down from focusing on our anxiety-inducing concerns 
to look and see what the Lord is doing all around us. If the Lord cares for the birds like this, how much more will he care for you? As the Apostle Paul puts it, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What things? All things. Now, I want to hasten to add, not everything that you happen to ask for. God is not a vending machine. But all things that you need to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. God is good. God is good all the time. Knowing that this is true, why would we become anxious over what we will eat or what we are going to wear? I want to suggest that the problem for most of us is that we is not that we don't believe these words. We do believe these words. It, at least as a matter of fact. We, we, we take God at his word when he gives it to us in this text. That is not our problem. The problem is that we don't have this truth at the center of our thinking throughout the day. Right? When we recall this truth, it helps us. But we go through life kind of having this on the periphery in the back of our minds if we needed to call it up. But we're actually thinking and focusing on different things during the day, things that the world is pushing into our agenda. Thankfully, there's a simple, I should add a biblical, it's not good if it's just simple, a simple and biblical way for us to recenter our lives around God's promises and his fatherly care for us. And it's just this, give thanks. Give thanks regularly throughout the day for all the things that God provides for you. Every act of deliverance, for the food that you eat at every meal. Because as you give thanks for God as, you, as the one who's giving you these provisions, it will remind you that he's your provider. And it will focus you on his care for you on a regular basis. I've mentioned this before. But since repetition is the mother of learning, I'm going to remind you of it again. The most common psalm in the Bible, remember God gives us psalms so that we'd have words for our faith, both to instruct us, but so that we could worship him aright. The most common type of psalm in the Bible is the psalm of lament. The psalm of lament is really kind of simple. I mean, they're beautiful in many ways. But the psalm of lament is basically, Lord, I'm in trouble. I'm in a world of trouble. Please rescue me. And everything else in the psalm is built around that. And the question is, how do you pray psalms of lament with faith? should add, by the way, the fact that the psalms of lament are the most common psalms in the Bible shows you that God cares about the fact that we have troubles, that we need to know how to pray out of those troubles. He gives us words to do it with. But how do you pray the psalm of lament with faith? Lord, I'm trusting you. Deliver me. Provide for me. And the answer is by praying psalms of thanksgiving. Do you know the only difference between a psalm of lament and a psalm of thanksgiving is where you are in time. The psalm of the lament, we say, Lord, I'm in a pit, please get me out. Lord, I'm in a world of trouble, please deliver me. The psalm of thanksgiving says, Lord, I was in a pit, thank you for getting me out. I was in a world of trouble, thank you for delivering me. By praying those psalms and reminding ourselves of how frequently and how graciously God provides for us and delivers us, it builds our faith so that when we're struggling, 
we have the faith to lean on. Right? That's just how it works. Now, you don't have to be in a world of trouble and rescued in order to give thanks. The ordinary provisions that God gives you throughout the day that may not be at all dramatic are all gifts from his hands. You, know, you get up in the morning, you walk outside, and it's a beautiful day. Thank God for it. He created it all. You know, God could have made the world in black and white. He made it in color because he wanted it to be beautiful for you. God makes all kinds of provisions for you. Give thanks for all of them. It will build your faith for the day of trial. Nevertheless, there's one more uh, possible issue. I can't say this is true for us in general, but I think it's true enough in common that I want to present it to you. You decide whether or not this fits you. But it probably does, so don't just dismiss it. There is one more possible issue in our thinking that I need to address. Our struggles may come from knowing that this is true, that God will provide for all our needs, but still wondering, what if the Lord doesn't give me what I want? See, my plans and God's plans are not always the same. And I want my will to be done I think sometimes we struggle not because we doubt that God's going to provide us everything we need to glorify and enjoy him forever. Because we have our hearts set on something else. I have a different plan. And I'm concerned that God's not going to lead me to that. Jeffrey Gibbs points out that there seems to be a universal human tendency to redefine luxuries as mere wants and mere wants as genuine needs. Uh, I think he's spot on with that. Right? There are many things in my life that I say I want, and I easily start to think of them as things that I need in order for my life to be meaningful and happy. Do you understand the problem? We can fully grasp that the Lord will provide for our needs without giving me the specific things that I happen to want. So I fret over the possibility that I may not get my way in life. Well, let me say quite clearly, one of the important things about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is learning to pray with Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But that actually is something that should free you from anxiety. You know, it would really be anxiety troubling if God always gave us what we asked for. When we don't know what to ask for or how to pray as we should. It is so much better that when we cry out to God, he does answer our prayers, and he gives us not our will, but his will, which is so much better for our lives. You cannot mess up God's will for your life by being confused about what you are praying for. Your Father in heaven loves you too much. As we're told elsewhere, if you being evil know how to give good things to your children, will not your Father in heaven do the same thing for you? You ask him for a loaf of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. We don't even do that with human fathers and their children. How much more the God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you all, will he not actually work all things together for your good? But a related issue to this idea of not getting my will, if we're really not celebrating God's goodness in our lives, we can begin to think of God perhaps like the... um, Political rulers in communist China, particularly those of 30, 40 years ago, they may have a goal of providing everybody with everything they need, but it's all drab. 
You know, they took this beautiful country with diversity and color, and you had all these guys walking around wearing exactly the same clothing, and it was all dull and drab. You might be concerned that that's what God's going to do with your life. Sure, he'll provide me what I need, but it's going to be kind of boring. But beloved, thankfully, Almighty God is nothing like the communist political leaders. I want you to look back with me once again at verses 28 through 30. Verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Beloved, do you see that your Father in heaven does not simply clothe the hillside with a utilitarian system of roots to keep the soil from being eroded away? He clothes the hillside with beautiful flowers. So magnificent that even the famed beautiful robes of King Solomon faded by comparison. God is a God of beauty. And he's committed to doing something beautiful with your life. It is true that the Lord might not give you what you want. But as I say, learning to pray that his will would be done rather than mine should free me and should free you from anxiety. Because God's plans are better than your plans. He knows all things. We are not praying to a cosmic Scrooge. Beloved, you are praying to the all-powerful creator of the universe who loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. You are praying to the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or could even imagine. The life of faith and prayer is not the road to getting everything that you want. It is far better than that. The life of faith and prayer is the road toward getting God's will for your life. And God's will for your life is that your life would be filled with meaning, both in this age, but also for the age to come. God cares about you, and he is committed to making your life beautiful, and he is committed to making it matter. Naturally enough, this is also going to require us to grow in a way that changes our priorities, right? What what was really important to you before you became a Christian, you could imagine when you're thinking about, well, is this God going to give me all the things I want? And what God's actually going to do in part is change what you want. When Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison, they sang psalms and hymns. Do you know they did not sing psalms in prison because they enjoyed getting beaten and thrown into prison? Those things were bad. But God had reoriented their priorities so that they could see that God was at work in Philippi. That in fact, in light of what God was doing for them and through them, those beatings and imprisonments were in fact light and momentary afflictions in view of the eternal weight of glory that God was working through them. Right? So so we have to remember that part of what God is doing is changing our priorities so that they would be so much better. I I mean, which of us would choose right now 
to say, I'd rather have a life of perfect calm where nothing ever comes in my life that causes any pain until I die, but that life would be meaningless, versus having a life that's going to impact other people for the sake of the kingdom of God, glorify your Father in heaven, and bear fruit that will last for eternity. God cares way too much about us to simply make us comfortable in this life. Now, Jesus tells us to not sweat the small stuff, and he calls us to remember that our Father in heaven truly loves us. Now, in verses 31 to 33, he calls us to focus on what matters. Please look there with me, verses 31 to 33. Jesus says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, in verse 31, Jesus is basically repeating what he said in verse 25. But now he's giving us a fresh reason for setting aside our anxieties. For if we get all wrapped up in things like what we shall eat and what we shall drink and what we shall wear, things that quickly pass away, we reveal that we are thinking about the world the same way that people do when they don't know God. He's saying you're like the Gentiles. A Gentile here is not an ethnic term. Jesus is saying, you who I've revealed my father to, you who I've taught to pray to my father as your father, right? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That came just earlier in this chapter. Why in the world would you act like those who don't know who God is? Of course those who don't know God are living for this passing age, living for prestige and food and the best clothing and the biggest house, and they really believe that he who dies with the most toys wins because they don't have anything else but you do. God loves you. God has a plan not only for your life in this age, but for all eternity. As we heard in the assurance of pardon this morning, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, you will dwell in your Father's house forever. So why would we live like those who don't know God? What should we be doing instead? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, it will be immensely helpful to us to remind ourselves that Jesus is not scolding us for being anxious. Rather, he is calling us to embrace his own sort of life in this world. We are, after all, his disciples called to become like our master. Consider a time when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. We should remember, Jesus is a true human being. He's exhausted from his ministry. All those people that are always pressing on him. And by the time he journeys to Samaria, he's so tired, he needs to rest at this well while his disciples go into town to get food. He's exhausted. And then this sinful woman comes out who's trying to avoid everyone else because even in her culture, she's considered a shameful person having gone through man after man after man. Whether it's her fault or their fault, we don't know, but she was an outcast in their society. 
And Jesus set aside the fact that he was exhausted to lead this woman to the place where she was ready to understand and to embrace who he was, that is, to embrace the gospel. That was his priority. Then while the Samaritan woman ran into town, in an effort now, kind of surprisingly, to convince everyone else to come out and see this man who's the Messiah, his disciples return. Uh, They return with food, and they're urging Jesus, here, Lord, take something and eat. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You you can imagine how puzzling that must have been to the disciples. Did someone slip him a sandwich or something? Right? And then Jesus says, my very food is to do the will of my Father who sent me and to complete his work. And then he tells his disciples, Look, you, you guys have a saying here about you know, seasons and everything, how long it's going to take before harvest. But I tell you, lift up your eyes. Look to the fields of those Samaritans who are coming. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. What was Jesus doing? He was showing it what, us what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Now, Jesus isn't saying food's not important. He does not teach us that man does not live by food. He teaches us, quoting Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread alone. He's not saying food's not important, clothing's not important. He's saying, get your priorities right, like me. Right? Seek first the kingdom of its God and its righteousness, and your Father in heaven will add to you all the things that you need. Now, by all means, we should enjoy such things with thanksgiving. But please remember that you were created and redeemed for more than mere food and clothing. So what are the key steps toward overcoming a foolish anxiety in this present life? Don't sweat the small stuff. Remember that our Heavenly Father loves you and is committed to providing for your needs. And remember to focus on the truly big things that the Lord is calling you to. First and foremost, seeking Him. Seeking the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Those are the main points of what Jesus is saying. And yet Jesus adds something that I think is vital for us to grasp. Be realistic. Look at verse 34 with me. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, with these words, Jesus is making clear that your prayer life and your faith will not turn this present age into a utopia, right? By the way, Jesus didn't experience that either, but he did experience days that were very different. Not every day that Jesus experienced was like being uh, under the direct assault of Satan in the wilderness. Well, it wasn't like the crushing burden he carried at Gethsemane, and your days will be different. But you should expect on a regular basis that your days are going to bring real challenges into your life, real troubles into your life. And Jesus is saying, you don't need to borrow from the future. Be realistic. Today has plenty of problems for you to deal with. If you're walking by faith, focusing in my kingdom, you have plenty to do right here. Live in the present to the glory of God. We do not need to borrow troubles from the future in order to bring forward worries. Today has enough challenges for us as God's children. We need to learn to live by faith in the present. 
Well, given how anxiety-producing our culture can be, um, this is a passage that's worthy of your prolonged and repeated meditation. And in fact, all three of the main points that I drew your attention to in the sermon are important for us to put into place. Right? Getting our priorities right. Don't focus on the small stuff. Don't sweat it. Remember that your Father in Heaven loves you and is providing for you. And focus on seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. That's all very important. But you know what? Our lives are not changed by an outline. They're really not. You can, you can jot this down. You can memorize it. It will not change your life. What changes our lives is when the Holy Spirit takes his word and he opens our heart to understand it and to put it into practice. And I want to give you just one point of application to close with. And I'm going to use the words of uh, Professor Michael Wilkins. Professor Wilkins writes, I believe that one of the most important ways of actually carrying out Christ's teaching is to learn to regularly express our gratitude to God for what he is doing, what he has done, in preparation for relying on him for tomorrow. A way of reversing the trend toward anxiety is to look around at what we have and what God has done and then say, thank you. That is the theme of the heartfelt chorus, give thanks with a grateful heart. Most of us have sung that at some point in our lives. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Whether we are weak or strong, poor or rich, Jesus' teaching on wealth and worry is rooted firmly in what he has done for us. He is our master and our provider, one who has given us kingdom life, kingdom priorities, and kingdom values, by which we can truly say, thank you. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Amen.